right, so uh, today we're going to look at uh, themes for today are vapor and solid. So match. Uh, you can't take your eyes off it, right? So that, the smoke, is obviously vapor. Uh, this is used a lot, this image in the scripture of smoke being, you know, where a fire used to be, and therefore it can mean uh, impotence, <laughs> like me lighting a match. Uh, it can mean impotence or, you know, the fact that you're bragging. It can also mean bragging, right? There's smoke, but there's really no fire. It also means like it, it's vapor, right? There, it's nothing. It's nothing. And it's often a theme of uh, things that are have no substance. Conversely is rock. Rock, paper, scissors. So rock always wins, right? No. So um, this, uh, a title for the Lord Jesus Christ and a symbol of that which is foundational, that which is strong, that which is unchanging, that which is un eternal. And therefore, it actually becomes a symbol for heaven itself in that it is something solid. And today what we're going to see is that heaven is solid and earth and fallen mankind is vapor. And the scripture presents it this way. That our problem as sinners is, yes, it's the sin, and yes, it's the problems all that sin causes, but sin and unrighteousness and all these things that are not of heaven are not solid, and therefore they're not eternal, and therefore they actually are described as dead. They have no substance. They have no reality. But heaven is the reality. So the closer you get to heaven, the more you understand reality. And people say in this world, well, this, you know, these solid objects are the reality. And in fact, they're not because they're not eternal. And so that's what we'll see today. Today is about you being a rock, a solid person, and not a ghost. And we have it. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter 3. That's where we'll begin, and let's uh, open up in prayer, but let's thank God for our opportunity to hear his word and to um, comprehend it, and by means of which we will become more heavenly as we grow in grace and knowledge. So with that in mind, let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the opportunity and privilege that we have to grow in your grace and knowledge, to learn more about you. Every time we come to your word, we can learn more. We see more. We thank you for the spirit within that opens up our hearts to your reality. We have not seen you. We have not met you. We have not seen our Lord. We have not held him or heard him, as John writes in 1 John. But we can still yet fellowship with him. And the more we do that, the more solid we become, the more solid our lives become. In other words, they become more heavenly. So thank you, for the, thank you, Father, for the opportunity to mature more as we learn your word and apply it to our lives. And we pray thanks in Christ's name. Amen. 
So uh, it's very easy for us to get confused when the Bible says that we're dead in Christ and we're resurrected with Christ. When Christ died, we died. And this is for believers, believers only. And when Christ died, we died. And when he was resurrected, we were resurrected. And yet none of us have died, not yet. And it doesn't, you know, we haven't been resurrected. So what does it mean to be resurrected with Christ if I haven't yet died? And what does that have to do actually with our subject, which is work? Uh, We have work to do as believers. And as we know, we're not going to do that work unless we're matured. Uh, We can't do the work just for the sake of working, as we'll see, that, that God didn't give us work just to make us busy. It's not the, even in giving or serving. It's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Uh, there's a, there's a, a reality to it, and, and that we figure out as we mature. As we mature more, we figure out, and we become more motivated, which is just a, an indication or an evidence that you are maturing. Um, and so, but so, how does this relate? You know, how does this maturity relate? to a greater flow of work from us, and I mean in service of God. And again, it gets back to the same image. I mean, there's many ways you can look at it. This is not the only way, but it is a, um, an important way for which to see yourself. Uh, becoming more mature is like becoming more solid and less vaporous. And that, in that way, vaporous is worldly. God calls the world and its cities meaningless, by the way. Um, and, and like Ecclesi- in Ecclesiastes, Solomon does a similar thing. So it's his word, uh, hevel, means fleeting or, and really short-lived. Um, Abel's name is hevel. Abel, who was killed by his brother, he, he didn't live long enough, in other words. He died young. And, and he died because of an evil act. So an empty, evil thing ended the life of a good man, a worshiper of God, and that his name is Hevel, meaning uh, fleeting, rapid, changing. And that's just what vapor is. It's fleeting. It's rapid. It's changing. It's not of substance. And maybe th- uh, if you've seen the movie Ghost, a pretty famous movie uh, with Patrick Swayze, who died a tragic death, but anyway... Uh, Patrick Swayze, he is a ghost in that movie, and he can't move solid objects. And in the movie, he has to learn how to actually move something solidly. And it's that kind of thing. That as, as, even as believers, our lives can be more vaporous because they're more worldly. They're more sinful. We're not actually doing things that are eternal. And therefore, the things that we're doing and we're living for of, are of, thus saith the Lord, not me, they're of no substance. And if what I'm living for isn't of substance, then my life itself isn't really one of substance. So my life is the match, you know, the match that has gone out instead of the rock. And the more I mature, my whole life, my experience, my, my personality, my, the things that I do, uh, all of it, my words, my thoughts become more heavenly. Solid, meaning real. So if we stick with this image, eternal life and heaven are solid. Fallen life and sin are vapor. If life will become more solid and therefore more real, we're more mature. 
as Christians. And we will do the works of heaven. So 2 Thessalonians 3.6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition that you receive from us. And uh, this unruly, we saw Sunday, means disordered, means to be out of order. And therefore, not in the manner that God has designed for us or wanted for us. And then in verse 10, if you skip down to verse 10, because we're going to focus on work again today, he says, for, these, for those that are unruly, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order, if anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Which, interestingly, as I said Sunday, busybodies is a word that means to, literally, it means to work around. And so it's not like they're doing absolutely nothing. They're just doing things that are of what? No importance. And so we'll, we'll return to them. We want to look today at how is it that maturity in us creates this preponderance of work and desire for more work. The problem in Thessalonica here is the same problem that has been occurring and right now is a major problem in the affluent West, in the West where Christians are not persecuted in the West. Sometimes they are, but really it's not of any manner that it could be. We have it pretty easy. And because we do, I'm not saying just because of that, because that would mean every Christian was apathetic. But I think it contributes to it that you can profess to be a Christian, go to church, and really not do anything at all. And people will say, yeah, as a Christian, they might even be um, you know, heralded as a great Christian because you're nice. Because you're, you know, you give a little here and there, or you do a little here and there, or you speak of Jesus a little here and there. But the, the question is for us is, are we doing the works of the Father? Are we doing all the works that God the Father has predetermined for us to do? And that would be our measure. And, th- and then even then, as Christ said in the parable, you know, if you've done all the work of your Father, consider yourself an unworthy servant. Don't be patting yourself on the back. If you have done all that is required of you, consider yourself an unworthy servant. Because all of us are just that. And that is a wonderful thing to know. Because if I'm not worthy, then what substance do I have as a servant? In fact, I have none. Right? What... Me, Joe, what, what's going on with me? Do I have anything that is of my own that I could offer to anybody or to God? And the answer is no, I don't. What I truly offer to God is what He has given to me first. That's what I offer to Him. So how could He be in my debt? And He cannot. It's the same as a parent giving their kid you know, a few dollars to go buy them a birthday present. And the kids all very proud that they got something for their for their mom or dad on their birthday. They don't have a cent to their name. They've sacrificed nothing. 
the other day, we were buying a birthday present for one of Maggie's friends uh, yesterday, and she was like, let's buy two. And I'm like, pony up the money. <laughs> and she doesn't know what pony up means. She just looked at me quizzically, and I, we just laughed. But, you know, yeah, they don't understand money. Anyway, that's not my topic, is it? Am I, is, is God in my debt because I've done well? No. And, and in fact, all I do is by him. And you see why this is important. Because him, he, heaven, righteousness, justice, love, all of it is solid. He's the only one. And when I'm using this, I'm solid. And the more I do it, the more solid is my life. Without God, I'm not going to light another match. I've already lit in two. But without God, all I am is the vapor. And then I say, look at my vapor. Isn't it wonderful? And other people, other vaporous people in the world will go, bravo, bravo. You're a good vapor. And they're all vapor. Fleeting. Really useless. And so apathetic believers in Thessalonica are doing no work. This is true today. Now, often we might hear that those, you know, we hear about the fact that the church is suffering because not all the Christians are doing what they're supposed to do. And it's true. You know, the church does suffer. The church suffers financially when people don't give. Uh, the, The church suffers with its outreach to the world. You know, every church should be have an outreach of the gospel to the world. They suffer in that when, you know, the people who come don't want to be involved. The congregation itself suffers when believers don't take their calling seriously and don't contribute. But this has always happened. The churches haven't died because of this. What happens is a wonderful thing. Those who don't do anything open up opportunities for those who want to do. And so other believers get to hop in that gap. They get to serve even more. In other words, the opportunities to serve abound because of apathetic believers. And so although that is a problem, that the church doesn't get to function as well as it could, it's not the problem. The problem, and it's the greater tragedy, is for the believer himself or herself who is apathetic. By not realizing that you have been given work to do by the Father and that in doing that work, if you did, you would find fulfillment in life. You're not. So people say, well, look, if I don't lay my life on the line, I'm saving my time, right? If I don't give my time to the church and to people, I'm saving it for myself. What are you saving it for? I like that. It's almost better than lighten them. The vapor. Are you really saving your time? You're not. You're not saving it. You're throwing it away. The use of time is the solid. When you use your time in the work of the Father, you are doing that which is of heaven, and that is the only solid in this world. So you're not saving yourself. You're throwing it away. For a lot of believers, they're present, but they don't contribute. They're present, but they don't serve. 
And it's true that the church can suffer by them, but it's also more so that such believers have left aside the opportunity to fill themselves and see fulfillment in life. By serving the Lord in the capacity that we should, we see the happiness that we could have never dreamed of. Right? Not entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. What about your impact on the lives of others? An impact that you could have never dreamed or thought of. And it's because you said, you know what? I'm going to do the work of heaven. And that, not just part-time either. This is not a part-time job, Christianity. But to truly give my life to it. As we'll see that Paul says, we're going to walk in it. Walk in these things. If you miss out on doing the work that God has given you to do because you don't want to do it, you've missed out on the Christian life. And that's a fact from the Scripture. That's, a, that's not me. I mean, I, I, yeah, I'll leave that aside. It, for me, you know, I've got to worry about my own work. I can't. You can only tell people about it. We, we'll see in First Thessalonians later on this week, tomorrow, Thursday, that uh, Paul tells us to admonish the unruly. The same word that he tells us to admonish these disordered Christians in that admonish means to warn. And we should do that for one another. Not poking our nose in everybody's business. Not that. But to help others to see what they can be. Because if we miss it, this is the only time we get to do it here on earth. Some Christians, for many reasons, which are given many names, there are many ways in which we can fall into the subtle traps, these very obvious traps in which we give up our lives, our Christian lives, for a worldly life. And when we do that, we're more, our lives are more akin to vapor than to solid. Imagine the smoke from that burnt-out match trying to move that rock. And as Jesus said in John 17, 4, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. This is where he's praying to the Father. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. The Lord's work had always come from the Father. So does ours, by the way. And what works does the Father want you to do? What works does he want me to do? Now, in physics, work is defined as force times distance. So, if I move this rock, I put a force against it, which is the muscles in my arm, and I move it a certain distance, I have done work. If I don't move it, in other words, I just hold it here, I'm not doing any work. Actually, I'm working against gravity, which is why my arm would get tired eventually. But to move the object is to do work. And to move the object... And there's, there's various forces in, on Earth that will move things, like the electromagnetic force or gravity. Um, <clears throat> these things, if you're going to move something, you're moving something solid. And in that case, although that's not the definition of work in the Scripture, because although this solid is an image of that which we can, we can comprehend... And when Christ says, build your house on the rock, we comprehend that. We know what that means. 
that the work that God has given us to do may be, and most of it actually, is completely invisible. And so eternal life is solid. Fallen life and its sin are vapor. Eternal life is solid. And um, you know, the, the more we mature, the more solid we become. And the less we mature, the more vaporous we stay. The things that we love, things that we want, they're really of no substance. But the closer we get to our, in our walk with God, you know, as James says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you as you walk with him. The things that you love to do and want to do are going to become more and more solid. The meaning, and you know, it, it's not just solid is another word for eternal. Solid meaning of substance. You know what life really is. Uh, the only one who has ever had it is Jesus Christ. His life came into the world and that life in John 1.4 was the light of men. So Christ is the only one who had this life and then he gave it to us. When you and I believed in him, hence this phrase, you've been resurrected with him. You say, Paul, no I haven't. I have to die first to resurrect. But Paul would say, well that's true. And, and you'll be more like Christ than ever when you do that. But right now, you are like Him. And the more you mature, the more solid you're going to become. The more like a resurrected body you will become. When you're in that resurrected body, you are going to be the most solid of solid things. That's an indestructible body, is it not? This one decays. This body is vapor. But the more I mature, the more in my heart, the more even in the use of this body... I become more like a resurrected being, more solid, more eternal. It's marvelous, actually. But the more I go towards sin, a sinful life, and we're going to focus, because Paul here is talking about believers in this passage. And the more vaporous I become, like a ghost. And I would I'd recommend this what sent me into this as I started reading uh, C.S. Lewis's um, uh, The Great Divorce, his book, The Great Divorce. It's short, it's short too, just, just to plug it. If you've read it, but if I haven't read it in years, and I, I started reading it again, uh, and uh, you know, it, it, he uses this imagery. And I loved it here for you know, how it plugs into, if I'm a ghost, what kind of work can I do? Right? I can't lift anything. I, all I can do is haunt people. <laughs> right? Which, you know, unruly Christians, that's kind of what they do. The only work that they do are as busybodies. So what, that, it's perfect, isn't it? The busybody, you're here to haunt me. But what work are we doing? And yet, God is, again, God isn't just giving us busy work. Saying, look, believers, I want you busy, occupied. You know, the, uh, How's it go? Um, uh, you know, the uh, idleness is the devil's playground. Right? If, don't sit around in here, which is very true. Idleness is the devil's playground. But this is not busy work just for the sake of being busy. This is actual, and this is what should get us excited. This is actual work of eternity in our lives now. So, in our lives. Because we're made in the image of God. 
in our spiritual lives because my, our spiritual lives come directly through Christ. And so they are from God. Truth and thought take on a more solid nature or a more empty, vaporous nature, depending on what I call my truth and what are my thoughts. Sin in the work of sin, which is selfishness, working for number one, me. I can do a lot of work, but if it's for me, it's vapor. Protecting your own interests, neglecting the worship of God, all make a life that looks more and more vaporous. And here's the kicker. The longer you do it, the more vaporous you become. I mean, all of us fall into it. We'd have to be sinless if we didn't. But the longer I do it, the more I do it, the more everything in my heart and all around me becomes unreal. And I can get to the point where I become so unreal that solidness is just miles away. And I, I can't get back there. Like I'm, in other words, I'm such, a, I'm such a vaporous ghost, even as a believer, that to get back to something that has any stability and spirituality is practically impossible. And it's the result. It's the result of bad decisions. God has warned us of this. That you can keep going and keep going and keep going. And in um, in the book of Proverbs, it's this this idea of heading down this sinful, evil road for a long, long time is called folly. And in, and in Proverbs, folly is a she. She's an adulterous woman. Well, maybe we'll see that later this week. I almost threw that in for today, but too much. Um, now, in a way that I don't think we can understand until we're out of this world, out of time really, and in heaven, is that the redeemed, the saved, we have always been, in God's eyes, solid substance. You know how it says you're elected before the foundation of the world. And even though I spent a, a portion of my life as an unbeliever, and even as a believer, getting involved, many of us have been involved in sins and in evil and recurrent sins, that God has always seen us as his children and therefore solid. He's always seen us as heavenly. And so in Ephesians 2.5, it says 2.6, it says we've been raised up with Christ and seated with him in heavenly places. God sees us this way, even though we're not really there yet. And so in this we should see ourselves. And therefore, when we look back at all our failures and sins, all the things that we've done wrong, and there are many, but to us, and this in no way condones it, but to us, somehow, some way they contributed to us getting here. Like where you are now. If it actually weren't for your blunders and mistakes, you wouldn't be here. And it's not that God doesn't need that God needs them. And it's not that this makes sin any good. That would be blasphemy. But it is truly, as a believer, as you become more and more solid, the vapor in the past of which you have no regret. And it's truly the reality of being able to have no regrets. You know, when someone says you die without regrets as a believer, I look back on millions of sins. But what I see myself as now, resurrected, eternal. Um, and it's not about 
you know, what a salvation by works program is in either, you know, Hinduism or Muslimism or any of that is that, you know, you're, you have the good deeds and the bad deeds are put on a scale and, you know, and you're going to hell, you're going to heaven, right? But for us, we, it's through Christ. We look at the past and say, yeah, there's a lot of blunders there, but I have no regrets because through it all, my Lord got me here. And being here, here, I am who I am. And no matter what I've done, yeah, I did none of it good. A lot of it not good, I should say. I'm here and I'm solid. And therefore, I have no regrets that God got me here. So let's see how Paul puts it. Paul uh, alludes to this in Colossians 2. Go to Colossians 2.8. You know, think of that. When, when someone who has known you your whole life, and yet they're not believers, say, or say they're believers but don't understand anything we're talking about, like right now. And here you are, confident, happy, and I say, well, you do remember what you've done, right? You do remember where you've been. You do remember this past in which you've left disaster. You can't just erase that and be happy. And then we could say to that person, yeah, I can. Because God took that vapor all on himself. I'm forgiven forever. And God has now made me eternal. And he's changing me. You know, with this, when we become believers who love his word, we get changed. And the more solid we become, the more we look, we can live without regret. I've done a lot of bad things, but they are not what defines me. I don't, you know, they crop up in our minds, right? You have this, it happens to me all the time, these memories of things that I've done that I don't even know where they come from, and they they... They, they try and rob me of my peace. Sometimes they're very successful at that because I let them. But, um, you know, that's not who we are anymore. And that's heaven talking. And it's, not, it's not me saying that I've forgotten all those things or that they weren't bad or that they didn't hurt people. I'm acknowledging that completely. It's just that I've completely lost myself in the Lord. And He has forgiven me, and that's all that matters. And therefore, I can move on. But that is not of the world. In the world, you've got to pay your debt, right? And, makes, and every cent has to be paid before you can move on. That's the world. With God, Christ did that. And then He says, go in peace. Colossians 2.8 See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Notice what deception is called here. Keep in mind this this language of vaporous and solid. The deception is called empty. It's nothing. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. I love this. uh, There's one word here that means elementary principles. 
and it's stoicheia. And uh, as a chemistry teacher, I taught the dreaded stoichiometry, if you've ever had to take this in high school. It's when we balance equations and make sure that matter that goes in is the same amount of matter that comes out and all of that, and the kids hate it. Uh, that's called stoichiometry because it is it means a balance of matter, and it means, therefore, elementary principles. Um, and that's the word here. And it, it can mean, uh, <clears throat> a way I like to look at it is, it's the ABCs of the world. So stoich, stoicheia means the, um, the beginning of any pattern. So like ABC, you don't have to say the rest of the alphabet, right? Everybody knows what you're talking about. And that's what this is. The elementary principles of the world. You don't have to list them all. Just start the list and we know what you're talking about. <coughs> so according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ, for in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete and he is the head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, notice the language here. We have the now, you know, for us, we're raised from the dead. Christ is resurrected. So he's not dead. And he comes out of the tomb in a very... He's not a spirit, as some Christians have believed, that he was some kind of spirit being. He made sure to show his disciples that he was completely solid, flesh and bone. And <clears throat> these uh, traditions of men were... You know, they're, what are they? Empty. So they have this empty deception. And in contrast to that, you have Christ coming, and notice he says bodily. Not just bodily, but the fullness of deity in bodily form. I mean, how solid is that? Fullness of deity in a man's body. <clears throat> That's as solid as solid can be. And the grave couldn't hold him, even though he gave up his, his life. So that's Christ in bodily form. As for us, we're told that we're complete instead of empty, right? You see the contrast. The contrast that Paul is purposely writing it this way. That there's an empty deception that will lead you away from that which is heavenly, that which is solid. It's empty. But what you are, being made for heaven, is complete. And you are. Every believer is. Made complete. The flesh, which is vapor, cut off. Circumcision of Christ made without hands and buried in death. Buried. right? Not just killed and left there. Killed and buried. And then raised up to life. <clears throat> now keep that in mind as you go down to verse 16. <clears throat> Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath day. Now, what are those things? It's the empty things. Does it matter what you do on Saturday? You can get up to God in heaven and say, do you know what, every Saturday I didn't do any work? He's going to say, who cares? 
Do you know that I celebrated the New Moon Festival religiously? God's going to say, what? Who the heck cares? That's not what I called you to do. That's not what heaven does. Those rituals are Old Testament rituals to point people to a reality. They're vapor themselves. The shadow of things to come, correct. And that's what he says. Verse 17, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now how beautiful it is. Solid and vapor. People will... <clears throat> now you've known, Maybe you've been a religious person. Maybe you know religious people. Their religious rituals are far more important to them than anything else. They worship them. To take those rituals away. So I say, could you hold off on your ritual to help this man in need over here? Good God, no. The ritual is far more important. We cannot interrupt the ritual. <coughs> Excuse me. And that's what we saw with, you know, why we just saw, I can't even remember when now, that they're condemning Jesus for healing people on the Sabbath. And Jesus said to them, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to kill? Like, What are you talking about? They were plotting to kill him on the Sabbath. He's saying, is that lawful? Is it lawful for me to heal someone on the Sabbath? <clears throat> so in our sin nature, though, we are... You know, we're, our sin nature, or our flesh as it's called, old nature, old man, whatever you want to call it, as the Bible does describe it that, but on all those ways, uh, has as its nature the desire to do the least necessary. All right, we were all this when we were kids. Once we finally learned that there were rules to follow, we said it to ourselves, and maybe even outright asked it, what is the least minimum, what's the minimum i got to do? What's the minimum I got to do? I see now that I'm going back to school, I see this in some of the kids that I've been. I call them kids; they're in their 20s, but to me, they're kids. And I've seen in a few of them the, this. Uh, what's the minimum I got to do? <laughs> you know, and you're paying a lot of money to get this education. Why would you look at it that way? And likely because they're not the ones paying for it. Um, but you know, if the privilege of getting an education, it's the same as the privilege of living the Christian life, is you pour your heart and soul into it so you can milk everything out of it that you can. And because it's important stuff that you're learning. The Christian life is that, you know, on steroids. But yet, there are Christians, Christians say, what is the minimum I got to do? I show up to church, all right. What's the least I got to do? And this, even if the church survives, because all of us did the least that we had to do. You know, there's a dollar in the bank account, but we paid all the bills this month. And, you know, we had every everything was here and people got to come and we all did the minimum that we had to do. Great. But it's not great, is it? Because all of us are missing out on the life that God has given us. This solid life of heaven in which he said now... Be a, just like my son, do my work. But we have to battle the sin nature. 
and he's she, he or she is wily, tricky. Taking care of number one. All right, I got to protect myself. That kind of thing. No, you don't. God is the one who has promised as your lover and husband to protect you. But the old nature is dead, isn't it? But it's dead in a way that most people don't understand, even at times us. The old nature desires and pursues sin that is wrapped up in the elementary principles of the world. It's wrapped up in vapor. Sin is not real. It isn't. I had this talk with someone, actually someone in here, you know him well. And I had this talk and he said, well, you know, good and evil, he told me are the same thing. And I was like, no, they're not. Because you can't have evil unless good comes first. And he looked at me puzzled. And I said, well, look, evil is a perversion of good. If you don't have good, in other words, if, there, if nobody knows what legitimate sex is, you can't have illegitimate sex. And I used that example to him. Because well, we're guys, right? Sex we know. <laughs> and uh, he was like, wow. you know." And he, to his credit, he acknowledged that. That, yeah, good has to come first. Sin is of no substance. Now, of course, Christ had to die for it. But that was to make us righteous. He had to take the penalty. But sin itself is a perversion of that which is good in every case. Every case. It wouldn't exist without God without goodness first. And these elementary principles of the world, they wouldn't exist either without God first. They wouldn't be here. They're perversions of the principles of heaven. And therefore, they're of no substance. Vapor. The work that God has given us to do, therefore, is the vital work of the living When I say living, I mean those who are living in Christ. Only the believer is living a real life here on earth. Sad but true. That's very true. The unbeliever who's going along, even those who are nice and kind and following, obeying the law and not causing any trouble or havoc, are, are vaporous and slowly becoming more so. They live for nothing. They live for things that are not eternal. They can't. So, the work that God has given us to do is a manifestation of heaven. It's the solidness of heaven. And that's why it's such a great witness. Because when we do the works of God, we shine his light in this world. And people who are of the vapor world look at the solid and they go, wow, what is that? They may reject it. But yet they will notice it. They'll notice that it's different. And this is why these works are always also giving to others. What does heaven do? Heaven gives to mankind by the love of God he gave. And these works are always about giving. Giving to others what they need. Shining to the world God's light, which is giving to the world. Heaven gives and is always given. And it gives in the hope that the vape... Now, here's the other thing. When we give and work and do our hope, we don't just give for the sake of giving. Like, you know, you know, like when you're on your way to the birthday party and you, oh my God, I forgot to get a present, so you buy that cheap present at the gas station or something. 
Uh, you know, you just need something in wrapping paper to give. That is not how we give. We don't give like that. Heaven is in the business of turning vapor into solid. And that's what we're about as well. The Father's business is to help the unbeliever become a believer and the believer become more in tune with God or walking better with God and helping them to do that. In my service, my spiritual gift, my prayer life, all of it. It's not just giving for the sake of giving. It's not that you can't do that, but if that's all you do or all I do, then you know that's not what heaven's about. So the work that God has given us to do, therefore, is not just busy work. There's another aspect to this, too. We're not looking for recognition. We're not even looking for reward. God will reward our lives, and we understand that. But we're not really looking, not even the recognition of heaven itself. We don't care for such things. What we care for is just being eternal. As John uh, writes, 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we'll be like him because we'll see him just as he, as he is. When that happens, we're going to be solid like diamonds. Up to now, depending on how much you've matured, you're on your way to becoming that solid. What I see now, just in light of this image, is that maturity is more and more solid. I do love looking at it that way, at least for today. It hasn't appeared yet what we're going to be, but when he appears, we're going to be like him. So knowing this, what we're after, what we're seeking every day is the new nature. We're not earning it. We have it. Uh, The new nature is a worker with boundless energy, powered by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Boundless. I get tired real easy. I don't have that kind of energy. You know, if God had given you work to do and not given you the energy to do it, that would be quite a trick. Of course, he hasn't done that. God is not here to confuse us. God gives us works to do, and he gives us the energy to do them. Now, I've tried, what I've tried out is I'm a pretty busy person. Is that I wonder if I, can, <laughs> I wonder if I can get by in like five hours of sleep a night. Be like God, I have a lot to do. I can't sleep a lot. Give me this five hour thing because I've read about people who only need like four hours a night and they're good to go. I don't know if it's true. I just read about it. God, get, you know, just get me up early, early, early so I can do all my work in you know, Jesus' name, Amen. And about. You know, after I crashed my car in the ditch when I fall asleep behind the wheel. Like, I, no, it didn't work. It didn't work. I need a certain number of hours. So you have to know your limitations. Now, my certain number of hours isn't 10, by the way. It's more like between 6 and 7. I can do 6 for a while, and then I get kind of tired at the end of the week. But, you know, it, you find, find out what you... And, you know, if you're honest with God, you, you'll know. Am I doing your work, Father? And if you you don't know, go to him in prayer and ask. That's what prayer is for. Part of what prayer is for. Ask him. If you don't know what the works are, 
Say this Sunday's message in today is about getting busy, right? As a believer, with the works that God has given you to do. Like we need to see it before uh, I, I close here. So go to uh, Ephesians two ten. Did I not put in First Peter? First Peter, where are you? Here. That's later on, isn't it? Oh, I can do this. Hold on. I forgot. Here we are. First Peter four eleven. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? So Peter understands, just as he's communicating to us, that whatever we're going to do, we're going to do by the strength that God supplies. We receive, he supplies it. <coughs> Look at uh, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. Now, this preposition is very important. Preposition, I mean for. For good works. There's a few prepositions in this sentence. But we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's one preposition. For good works. Now, it doesn't say we were created by good works. That would be a whole different sentence. But this is for good works. We have to be created first. Created. Now, here's the other. This phrase, in Christ Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, is super important. That we're created in Him. We're a part of Him. He's a part of us. We're in Him. He's in us. This is a brand new life. It's not a reformed old life. It's a brand new one. We've been killed, buried, and resurrected. But we must make sure we have to become solid ourselves through salvation before we can work. Look at Ephesians 2.5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Verse 8, very famous and rightly so. For by grace, grace sorry, you have been saved through faith. And that, not of yourselves. Have been saved, by the way. That's a perfect tense, that verb. It means you're saved when you believed and you're saved today. It's never going to change. For by grace, the first word in the sentence is the word grace, charis. Grace, you have been saved. It's emphasizing it. And that, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's not a result of works. So I've been made a heavenly being in Christ Jesus, one of God's children. Not a being, don't think of an angel, but of course you know what you are as a new creature in Christ. And now in verse 10, I see what I'm made for. Where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, that already happened at salvation. For good works. And who made these good works? Just like he did for Christ, he did for us. God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're walking with the Lord, now notice the word walk, that we should walk in them. I think I meant to make that point back in Colossians, didn't I? Maybe not. Anyway, that we should walk in them is not is more than just, uh, you know, I got to do stuff. 
Walking, as Paul always uses this word, it means our lifestyle. Walk in a manner worthy of your calling. It's a walk. This, this word means how we behave, how we think, how we live. And therefore, this walking means that these good works are a part of our lives. I mean, we're always looking for them. We're always preparing ourselves for them. And we're always spontaneously, if need be, ready to do them. It's a lifestyle thing. It's not like, all right, I got like 10 more good works to do today. I'm going to get them over in the morning so I don't have to do anything for the rest of the day kind of thing. It's not that. This is my walk. It's my lifestyle. I've been created for this. And so, Paul, in 2 Thessalonians, the second time we won't go back there, he you know, tells them that he worked night and day. He reminds them. They, they had seen it. But when he writes this letter, he reminds them, amongst you we work night and day, toiled and labored night and day, so that we wouldn't be a burden to any of you and that we would also be an example to you. And this shows that this heavenly, solid work is giving to others. He says it over and over. All the work that he did was for the church, for others, in the service of God. Why is that? Because it's from heaven. Heaven gives. Heaven loves. Heaven provides. Heaven nourishes. Heaven comforts. So is us. When we're not doing that, we're back to the vapor. But in contrast to Paul's example of working and toiling night and day, there were believers in Thessalonica who were doing no work at all. And what's the contrast? What's the difference? Well, I'm sure in their minds that by not doing any work, not serving in the church and getting provided for, they were trying to milk the church in a kind of a welfare system, that they thought, hey, look at me, I'm saving time. I don't have to go to work today. I don't have to serve those goofy Christians at the church. I don't have to. I don't like them anyway. I, I don't have to do anything and the food is put on my plate. <coughs> I'm saving time. You're not saving time. Back to my last slide here. I like my little cloud of smoke. You're not saving time. By holding on to self, you're not saving time anything, you're losing it because you were never designed for it. Actually, nothing is. Nothing is designed for this. This world, this sinful world is a temporary blip on eternity, is it not? Even if it is a million years or whatever it is, or if it's 10,000 years, I don't know how long it is, nobody does. The history of mankind is a blip on an eternal timeline. Which is not even a timeline because there is no time. And the things that are here, that are of sin, of the fallen nature, of not of God, of humanity itself without God, all of it is a cloud of smoke. And God's going to get rid of all of it. So what are we living for? Self? Self's time? I don't have the energy. That's just your sin nature telling you not to do it. Dive in. Do it. And see. See if God provides you the energy to do the things that he's called you to do. Ask him what they are. All right, let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the admonishment. 
Also the encouragement. Thank you for making us solid, eternal beings. People who are your children in Christ. May we escape the draw, the allure of the empty deceptions of the world, the ABCs of the world's life, and to live for you, which is live for heaven, the only real life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.